Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast featuring lead pastor Doug Sherman. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you as Pastor Doug shares this week's message. I'm excited about this word because I feel like it's going to speak to many of you in this room and it's going to encourage you and challenge you. And so my prayer is that you'll be challenged and encouraged and lifted up and that you'll leave here today with a sense that, okay, I know what my next steps are. I know what God wants me to do. We've been doing a series in our church on the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Philippians was a letter the Apostle Paul wrote from prison, and he wrote it to a people who were experiencing persecution and who were um, experiencing false teaching through people that were coming into the church and distorting what the good news of Jesus was really about. And so Paul, while in prison, wrote a letter to the Philippian Christians teaching them about God's heart for them and how to endure and have joy and keep their focus on Jesus Christ when they're experiencing difficulty and suffering. So we're going to learn about that. Here's my message today. You listening? Keep pressing on. Your prize awaits you. Keep pressing on. Your prize awaits you. Today, we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 21. And we'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Normally, I use the ESV But the New Living Translation has been really good to use in this particular series. Um, It's a little bit easier to understand. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, and you can look on the screen, you'll be able to read along with me. Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. Amen. Isn't the Bible powerful? I was even saying in the first service, just reading that text is so encouraging, so uplifting, and so challenging. And you can tell it's alive. It's been breathed on by the Holy Spirit. Now, the first point I want to make today from this text, and I'm going to take this text and break down several points, but the first point I want to make is what Paul starts with, and that is a very simple one, 
And it's basically this. I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. Paul here patterns humility for us. He shows us humility. You know, if there was ever anybody in the early church that was a giant, it was Paul. He's one of the greatest followers of Jesus to ever live. If anyone could claim some kind of a rival, it was Paul. However, Paul recognized much in him that was not yet like Jesus. He didn't let his measuring stick be other people or what his culture dictated to him, but instead he looked to the perfect standard, Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to become like Jesus. Paul wanted to know Jesus intimately. He recognized that he was far from that standard. This kind of humility is so refreshing in our time. Too many of us have let other standards dictate our lives. And too few of us have looked to Jesus himself to be our standard. To know him and become like him in character and mission is the highest call. Why is that important? Because we live in a culture and a country of comparison. Let me say that again. We live in a culture and a country of comparison. From the moment we come out of the womb, we are continually marketed to by a consumer culture which tells us you can't be happy unless you have what they have, unless you look like they look, unless you drive what they drive, and unless you live where they live. And so from the time we come out of the womb, we are conditioned to compare our lives to others. We call it, sorry, we call it keeping up with the Joneses, right? We're taught that we need to compare ourselves and measure ourselves. And without realizing it, we carry those same ideas and attitudes and mentality right into our spiritual life. We measure ourselves by ourselves. We look at people over here and we think, you know, they're a little bit further along than me, but we look at somebody over here and we say, but they're not even close to where I'm at, right? I mean, look how carnal they are. And look, wow. I mean, look what she's wearing. Look at what he said. Look at what they look like. And we, we measure people. We do it all the time. We've been conditioned to do it. In fact, some of you are doing it right now with me. Right? Come on, be honest. Maybe you're checking our church out, or maybe you've been here a while, but you're still kind of assessing, right? And that's what we do. We've even been taught to be consumers in the church. We come into the church, and we ask ourselves the question, do I like his preaching? Do I like his personality? Do I like the way he does it? Do I like that worship leader? Is the music too loud? Is it too soft? Is it, does it have enough fast songs? Does it have any slow worship songs? And everything's about our preference and, and what we've been taught as consumers, We come into the church and we measure ourselves by ourselves. And Paul says that is immature and carnal, right? It it, it demonstrates that we're not growing up in him when we continue to make other people our measurement. He's not saying we shouldn't have examples. He's not saying we shouldn't follow examples of people that are ahead of us. But we shouldn't measure our life in such a way as to be comparing continually. So Paul simply says, I haven't arrived Because I know this, I might have written half of the New Testament, I might have signs and wonders and miracles come out of my life, 
I mean, I don't know if you realize it, but the Apostle Paul was used to do some amazing things. Dead people were raised under his ministry. One time they took handkerchiefs that he prayed over, and they took them to people who were demon-possessed and who were sick, and all they did was put those handkerchiefs on them, and the demons came out of them, and their bodies were healed. I mean, this guy walked in power. This guy wrote half of the New Testament. And yet Paul says, I haven't arrived. I haven't got there yet. I've got a long way to go because my standard is Jesus. Now, it's really important that I say something here because I want us to get this. Otherwise, we'll strive. Everything I'm sharing today is a challenge to us. Everything I'm sharing today is you taking your part of your faith walk and and taking responsibility for your growth in Jesus. But let me say something. But it's not up to you. You're like, wait, what? You just contradicted yourself. You see, everything we've been learning up to this point has been what? He is at work within us. It's by His grace. We're saved. We're rescued from sin by grace. We're sustained by grace. We're sustained by the kindness and the life of God within us. To live holy isn't our job. It's letting His life in us be lived out. Amen? So before I go any further, let me say something to you. I'm going to challenge you, but here's my encouragement to you. When I challenge you to move on with your life, to go forward with your life, to become more like Jesus, to become closer to Him, to grow in your faith, to let Him mature you, to move on from immaturity, when I challenge you to do that, my challenge is with the backdrop that you can do it because there's a powerful one that lives inside of you and His grace is sufficient and it's not all up to you. So don't let it make you despair. Have hope. You can change because there's one inside of you who can change you. That's the basis. Does that make sense? So Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. And he patterns humility for us. I, I love this story that kind of demonstrates this. Chan Gailey was speaking at a dinner years ago in Dalton, Georgia. And he was a football coach in college football for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And earlier in his career, he'd been a football coach at Alabama's Troy University. And they were playing for the Division II National Championship, and, and he was pretty excited. And the week before the game, he was headed to the practice field, and his secretary called him back over to take a phone call. Somewhat irritated, Gailey turned to her and said, take a message. I'm on my way to practice. Her response was simply, but it's Sports Illustrated. I'll be right there, he said. As he made his way to the building, he began to think about the upcoming article. It would be great publicity for a small school like Troy State to be in Sports Illustrated. As he got closer, he realized that a three-page article would not be sufficient to tell the whole story. Coming even closer to his office, he started thinking how he might be on the cover. Should I pose or go with an action shot? He wondered. His head was spinning with all the possibilities. He walked up to the phone, he picked it up, and he said, hello. And the person on the other other end said, is this Chan Gailey? Yes, it is, he replied confidently. This is Sports Illustrated. And we're calling to let you know that your subscription is running out. Are you interested in renewing it? Coach Gailey concluded the story by saying, you are either humble or you are being humbled. Amen. You see, a lot of times we can kind of become legends in our own mind, right? Because we measure ourselves by ourselves. We measure ourselves to others. And we need to recognize if Jesus is our standard, all we can do is walk in humility. 
right? There's always going to be some area of our character that needs to be worked on. There's always going to be some area where we can improve. There's always going to be some place in our life where we can be more Christ-like. And we see those things, they, they come out in places like our marriage, our job, the way we are with our children, and the way we interact with people that annoy us. Isn't that true? And that's when we find out, okay, I'm not like Jesus yet. Humility, come take my hand. Let us be friends and walk together. And that takes me to the second point. I press on to become who Jesus made me to be. Paul says that. He recognized that the true reason for living was to become like Jesus, to know him and to become like him. That is the highest call. Don't settle for anything else. You know, I I believe most Christians shoot way, way too low. Right? I love what C.S. Lewis said years ago. He said, if you aim for heaven and God, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim for what is earthly, you'll lose it all. Right? And yet many of us, we, we spend our lives, we spend our energy, we spend all that we are to gain temporal things. And we miss the eternal. We'll, we'll not invest in a person's life because we don't have time for it but we'll work and work and work in our workaholism and think that it's for our future. We'll neglect our children, our marriages, and our families to get more stuff, but we'll miss out on the eternal. Can I just challenge us? Let's let Jesus be our standard. Let's shoot for things that are important. I'm not saying it's not good to work hard. I'm not saying it's not good to have ambition. But let me tell you, when your ambition becomes such an idol that you have to sacrifice your family, your marriage, and any pursuit of Jesus Christ, any involvement in church, anything eternal, that is when you need to start asking yourself the question, what am I doing? What am I putting on the altar for the sake of what's temporal, so that I might miss what's eternal. Think about it. And that takes me to the next point. Paul says, I focus on one thing. And then he does something funny. He gives us two things. You ever notice that? I focus on one thing. What is the one thing? Well, it's actually two sides of the same coin. Because to do one, you have to do the other, so they go together. And what are those two things? What's the, what's the one thing he focused on? First of all, he said, I forget the past. Secondly, he said, I look forward to what lies ahead. Let's talk about the past for a minute. Paul isn't implying that we forget what we've learned or, for the, or that we forget the things that have made us more like Jesus. He's not implying we forget people or we forget the memorials of our lives where he met us or where great things happened or where he showed his grace and kindness. He's not saying that. He's simply saying that any former life or pedigree or thing that didn't lead us ultimately to a greater knowledge of God and, and a love of neighbor and a love of God, anything in our past that we're counting on, anything that we look back to and we claim to be the good old days, the great old days, or we kind of live in our past, you know, we look back to old relationships, old jobs, here's one, old churches, old spiritual experiences. I've met people who are new here, and I've even met people who've left our church and gone to other places, and they get stuck. And here's where they get stuck. We've had people leave here, and they've moved across the country, and they're having difficulty finding a church, and they, they all talk to them on the phone, and they'll be like, you know, I just can't find any place like Grace. 
I just can't find any place quite like grace. And I'm having a really hard time finding a church. We're looking for a place like grace. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. You're never going to find a place like Grace Harvest Church. Or we'll have people come in here and their past church experience impacted them. Maybe that's where they came to Christ. Maybe that's where God touched their life. Maybe that's where they really learned to worship. Or they were t- the, the preacher or the pastor taught a certain way and they really loved it and they really connected with it and it impacted their life deeply. But then something went wrong or they moved or they had to go into the next step of their life. And as they move on and they go into the next step of their life, they come through the doors here. And they walk through the doors and that experience becomes the standard by which they judge everything else. And what what happens? Of course, it can't match. Of course, it can't fit. And, And the other problem is when we look at the past, we have a tendency to romanticize it. Right? We don't look at it through honest eyes. Have you ever noticed that when you go back to that place that you used to really love, you go back to it and you show up and you're like, it's changed. Of course it's changed. Anything that's just static is dying, right? Of course it's changed. You know what else? You've changed. And so people will come in the doors and they'll be like, you know, this isn't, you know, at our old church we used to do this. The pastor did this when he preached. The worship team, oh, the worship there was amazing. It was incredible. And we're like, I'm like, great, that's great. I'm glad God blessed you there. Praise God. Mark that as a memorial in your life and then turn your eyes around and look to the future and realize that God has you here right now and he wants to do something unique in this season of your life and this place is never going to be like that place because all the characters are different and this is a new, se- a new season in your life and a new time in your life. Embrace where you are today. It happens in every part of our life. We have a tendency to hold on to things. Sometimes we hold on to uh, the way we used to be spiritually. Oh, in the past, I was so evangelistic. In the past, I, I read and I prayed all the time. In the past, yeah, I used to be a spiritual giant, basically, is the way we'll be explaining it to people. And I'm like, that's great. Praise God. Those things were put in your life. But it's time for you to forget that and to come into today. For this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, somebody, help me out. You see, he is the God of continual new beginnings. And that takes me to the next point. He says, look forward to what lies ahead. Look forward. God still has things to reveal to you and do in your life now and in the future. Please don't settle for yesterday's manna. Please don't embrace the lie that you've learned all you can learn about Jesus and you've done all you can do for him. Look forward to what lies ahead. He and his purpose lie ahead. There's some of you right now that have gone through, I know of people in this room that have gone through terrible things. You've experienced losses. You've experienced pain. Paul's not telling people to forget the people they loved or forget the dream that they had. He's not saying that. What he's saying is you can't stay there. You can't stay there, right? There's something still ahead. There's a journey that God has for you. There's a walk that God has for you. Some of you in this room, you're, you're stuck in your spiritual walk with Jesus, right? You're, still, you're going, I, I don't feel what I used to feel. I don't get the goosebumps like I used to get. Right? When you first began to walk with him and you'd come to worship or you'd read the Bible, it's like all the, you know, the words jumped off the page. And when you prayed, it seemed like as soon as you were done praying, amen, the answer came. Right, And you're, you're kind of romanticizing a, a previous state. 
And what I'm saying to you is part of maturity is growing up beyond that. That's the life of a child, right? That's the life of a baby. Babies go, Wah! bottle goes, or breast goes, right? That's the way it works, right? Baby poops himself, you change them real quick. I mean, everything is right at demand, but as they grow, as a child becomes four, five, six years old, you're hoping they're eating solid food, right? You're hoping that they've got the bathroom stuff down, right? And that's what happens in maturity. And, and th- when they just call out to you, you don't just run to their every beck and call. The whole idea of maturing and growing is becoming um, confident in your own ability to make decisions and to move forward. So for some of you right now, it's, it's a season in your life where God is saying, it's time to forget that stuff from the past and begin to move forward into the future. Can I get an amen? Am I talking to anybody? All right. Number four, I press on to finish the race and receive the prize. I press on. This word, this phrase, press on, means to this. Listen to this. It means to follow or press hard after, to pursue with earnestness and diligence in order to obtain, to go after with the desire of obtaining, to chase something vigorously to catch it, violent pursuit. The picture is one of chasing something no matter how long it takes, no matter how much effort it takes, in order to actually grab a hold of it and have it. And then what does Paul say he's pressing on for? What's he pressing on to do? To finish the race and receive the prize. What's the prize? Paul speaks of the Christian life as one who's a runner in the Olympics. He's saying you got to run until you finish. Because there's a joy in finishing and there's a great prize at the end. Heaven awaits us. A new world awaits us. Those who've gone before us await us. Now think about that. Why is that important? Because I I find it's really sad. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. But when I look around at the American Christian experience, I see too many people that don't finish the race. I've watched it as a pastor here. I've watched people start well and go through hardship or difficulty or get taken to the side by sin or by some pursuit, and I've watched them not finish the race. I've watched others, pastors and leaders, megachurches, well-known Christian celebrities, right? And they get kind of close to the end of their life. They get toward the finish line, and they've built all this great stuff, and right toward the end, they stumble. And I've realized the prize doesn't go to the people who start well. The prize goes to the people who finish. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you're on this race and you've fallen. You may have fallen into a deep pit of sin. You may have fallen into a deep pit of discouragement. You may just be wore out. You haven't fallen. You just you said, I can't do it anymore. And you've sat down on the side of the road. First thing I want to tell you is that Jesus is going to come and sit with you. And he's going to love you and he's going to minister to you. He's not going to drive you. I just want to say that in, run, in this race running thing, it's different in, in the walk with Jesus, right? He, he's going to sit with you. He's not going to say, get up, you lazy bum. He's not going to do that to you. He's going to come and sit with you. And if you weep, he's going to weep with you. 
and He's going to wait with you. He's going to love you. He's going to renew you. And when you're ready, He's going to get you back up and He's going to say, now let's run again. And He wants you to know, I'm running with you. But let's run again. Get back up. Let me tell you, if you've fallen on your face, please get up. You know, I know, you don't understand. You don't know how deep my pit is. Corey Ten Boom said, there is no pit too deep that God is in deeper still. Right? God can meet you in your pit. If you've fallen on your face, if you've done something that you're so ashamed of, this is what you do. You confess it. You repent of it. You get up. You embrace the cross. You go ahead and embrace whatever consequences are going to come as a result of your decision and ask God to give you grace to walk through those consequences. You be forgiven. You know you're loved. And then you get up and you run again. Did you hear me? You get up and you run again. Did you hear me? You get up and you run again. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. God's not done with you yet. This isn't the last chapter. The credits aren't rolling. This isn't the end. He's not done with you. Is anybody feeling encouraged? I hope so. But eclipsing all that, here's the prize. The prize is the prize of knowing Him and the prize of becoming like Him. None of it means anything if he's not there. You know, the great prize at the end of life, now this is going to blow some of you away. I'm going to mess some of your theology up right now. The great prize at the end of life is not heaven. Oh man, somebody's just being like, what? The great prize at the end of life is not heaven, but it's the one who inhabits heaven. See, seeing relatives, that's going to be great. Experiencing the beauty and the bliss of heaven is going to be great, but it's all going to be eclipsed by the one who fills heaven. He's what makes everything else wonderful and beautiful. He's what makes the people you love and cherish right now so beautiful and wonderful. Let's just talk about something for a minute. When we go to heaven, the people we love that, with, that you know, knew the Lord, the knew Jesus, the people we love are going to be there. And I think they're probably going to meet us and greet us. We don't, we don't have anything in the Scripture that shows us that. By the way, and what's interesting when we look in the Bible about heaven and the, the um, eternal state is we don't actually have a picture of the whole thing being about being reunited with our loved ones. Because this is what's going to happen based upon what I can see. If our loved ones are there to welcome us and greet us, you know what they're going to do? They're going to be like, oh, it's so good to see you. I love you. Look at this. Look with me. And they're going to have you look at God. And you're going to be so completely undone by the grandeur and the beauty and the glory of God himself that you're, going to, you're just going to lose. It's going to be like you're going to be joining them in looking. And everything you see from people to whatever animals are there to whatever beautiful natural things are there, everything you see is going to be beautiful and wonderful because it's filled with Him. See, what makes heaven and the eternal states and the new heavens and the new earth so glorious is that He's going to fill every molecule of it. He is going to captivate us. He's going to absolutely captivate us. And then we'll become like Him. 
I don't know if this makes you excited, but it does me, because I have to live with me every day, seriously, and my wife, my poor, poor wife, but we shall awaken His likeness. Becoming like Jesus is what we really all want deep inside. Jesus is everything we yearn for and everything we recognize as praiseworthy. When you see something in another human being that makes you say, wow, I want to be more like that, you're seeing the image of Jesus. The deep yearning we all have to be better people and to really love and like ourselves even is found in Him. And one day you're going to be like Him. Come on, we all live with it. You know what I'm talking about. That gnawing sense inside, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I should be. That gnawing thing inside of us that in the back of our mind kind of accuses us, right? Just reminds us of what we're not. And we see glimpses in other people. We see people that when we're around them, we're warmed. When we're around them, we're moved. When we're around them, we're attracted to something. We can't even quantify it, but it does something inside of us. That thing, that beauty, that wonder, that virtue is Jesus Christ himself. You see, C.S. Lewis shared a story years ago, a powerful story. He said he went into a shed that he had in his yard to get a tool. And he went over to the door and he unlocked it and he opened the door and he went inside and he closed the door behind him and it was dark. He didn't have a light on. And he turned around and he noticed that the sunbeam from, you know, from the sun came through the crack in the door and you know the dust was dancing in it. And he looked at the sunbeam and he was like, wow, that's, that's cool, you know. And then he noticed that his eye immediately went up. And he, if, he, if he traced the sunbeam up through the crack in the door, he could see it all the way to the sun. And at that moment, it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, this is what I, how I want you to view life. The, the light that came through and illuminated this room is not the thing itself. The light that illuminated came from that. And that's what happens to us on planet. You want me to tell you what idol worship is and the worship of other gods? The worship of other gods is when we take the gifts, the beauty, and the pleasures that God gives us where he reveals himself, those things that we find the greatest joy in, and we get so captivated by those things themselves. We get so captivated by the gifts and the graces of God. We get so captivated by them that we quit looking at the source. And what God wants us to see, God is not a killjoy. God's not a a robber of pleasure. God doesn't want to take away the beauty and the texture and the art and what's lovely from our life. He merely wants us to recognize that it all comes from Him and to turn our eyes vertical. We get so caught up, we're just like, I love the thing. I love the thing. I love the thing. Oh, thing, I love you. And God's saying, quit worshiping the thing and start looking at where it came from. It's really funny, a lot of people think that idolatry is, you know, you're going to make this little thing and then bow down before it in your living room. Well, idolatry is any time that we take things that God meant for good. Even some, some of the things we, we make idols in our lives are good things. They're not bad. We always think they're going to be like some demonic looking thing, blah, you know, sacrifice your children to it, right? That's what we think of. And we don't realize that sometimes the greatest idols in our lives are the things that were meant as gifts 
And they were given to us freely by the hand of God. And now we're just like, you know, my precious. <laughs> Sorry. Right. See, one day we're going to become like him. Look at, at 1 John 3, 2, and 3. I mean, I love this text. This is so beautiful. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Think about that. If you just focus on knowing him and you realize you have this hope in you that one day I'm going to be everything he wants me to be and he's changing me even right now, that very hope I'm not perfect yet, but I'm changing. That very hope will make you want to be pure. It will make you pure. It will help you live the way that you've been created to live. Takes me to my next point. I got to hurry. Say, help him, Lord. And the next one is follow the right example. Now, Paul contrasts two examples here. One example is he uses himself and others who are following Jesus. And then he speaks of this one group of people called enemies of the cross. Now, the first group are Paul and himself. He's challenging the people to follow the example of those who are pressing on to know Jesus and become like him. He's pleading with them to not follow those who are willing to sell out their great inheritance for the lower base things of their own shameful appetites. So he's saying, look, There are people in your life, and I just want to challenge some of us in this generation where we often feel like, you know, i got to do this myself. It's up to me. I've got to be self-sufficient. Can I just challenge you? You don't have everything you need to become who God's created you to be, and you need people in your life who are further down the road than you in knowing Jesus Christ and in their faith. You need to latch on to some of those people and say, teach me the way. Show me the way. Show me how to get to know him more. Show me how to know his word more. Show me how to pray. Show me what it means to follow God. Teach me that way. I need to No, latch yourself on to somebody. Paul's saying, follow those examples. Look for people who burn for God and then get up close to Him. But then he contrasts it and he says, there are these other people, the enemies of the cross, and their God is their shameful appetites. You see, Paul's addressing those who use their freedom and a twisted concept of grace to excuse sinful behavior. These are people who follow the baser appetites of their bodies and minds, and they miss out on what they were truly created for. So in that time, there was an error like there is in our time. And Paul actually addresses two errors or two false teachings in this letter. The first one is those people who were legalistic. They were Judaizers, and they were coming in, and they said, you have to be circumcised and follow all the laws of Moses in order to be saved. And Paul's saying, that's not true. That's false teaching. But there was another group that said this, we're in grace, God loves us, everything's good, you can do whatever you want, he understands, and he'll forgive you. So these people were giving in to whatever their body dictated. And in some cases, it was sexual perversion. In other cases, in the Roman Empire, it was anything goes. And he's saying to them, you're an enemy of the cross if you do that. Because what you're doing is you're spitting in the face of God and you're saying, Jesus, your death on the cross and your shed blood mean nothing to me. I'm going to sin anyway. 
And so he's saying, those are enemies of the cross. Don't follow that example. Because we can know him. We can become like him. We can make him known to the world around us. So let's follow the examples who run after God. And not the examples of people that are just like, yeah, you know, I'm good. Jesus loves me, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And you can't tell me. Don't judge me. And that's the big thing in our age, in our time. Don't judge me. So, so if you tell anybody, you know, hey, you know, you, you shouldn't do that. that. If you keep living like that, that's going to bring destruction to you. You're judging me. That's not judgment. That's not what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus was talking about judgment, he was talking about passing the final judgment. He was talking about saying, you're damned, you're out, you're over, it's gone, there's no hope. But he wasn't saying, don't challenge people who sin. He expected that. All the, all the letters of Paul tell the Christians, when you see your brothers or sisters overtaken in sin, confront them in humility and gently and with love, but tell them, stop doing that stuff. That's going to ruin your life. And that's what he's, he's saying. Look, there's people over here. They're using their so-called freedom, and they're destroying their lives. Don't do that. And that takes me to my last point. Be heavenly citizens. He is coming, and he will change it all. Be heavenly citizens. He is coming, and he will change it all. Look at verses 20 and 21. I love this. Uh, Sorry, yeah, just back to the original text in just the last two verses. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. What's Paul say here? Be heavenly citizens. He is coming again. He will change everything. Be heavenly citizens. We are part of another kingdom with different allegiances and a different government. I'm going to say something that's going to be shocking to you. My first allegiance is not to the United States of America. No Christian's first allegiance is to the United States of America. Your first allegiance, my first allegiance, is to the kingdom of God, to Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and He is over all the kingdoms. The scripture teaches that he's the king of kings. Think about it, right? And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the kingdoms of our Lord, the kingdoms of our Lord have become the kingdoms, wait, the kingdoms of our God have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. This planet and all of its kingdoms and all of its peoples and all of its ethnicities belong to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ purchased them with his own blood. Right? And we're, we're heavenly citizens, first and foremost. When you were born into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you became citizens of a different world right then, heaven. Remember that when things go sideways down here and evil seems to win the day, when elections don't go the way you want to, when leaders fail or sin, when people blow it, when you put all your hope that a certain person being elected will make everything better or a certain thing happening in the Supreme Court or a certain thing happening in Congress happens and then you find that it doesn't go the way you'd hoped it would. Many people, I've seen Christians, they just kind of like, ah, I just want to give up. America's going to hell in a handbasket and I just want to say, stop it. That's not where your confidence is. That's not where you're, that's not even your main mission. 
Your main mission is the gospel of the kingdom in the United States. Yes, let it come to the people around you, but don't put your hope in kingdoms that rise and fall. Just saying. And he's coming again. He came the first time. You can be guaranteed he will return. It may seem like a long time has passed. It may seem like, yeah, I've heard people say that before. And I'm not saying he's coming any minute. I don't know, but I will tell you this. He will return. And when he comes... He's going to come in power and glory, and he's going to judge evil once and for all, and he's going to reward his faithful people, and we're going to see him face to face. That is the reality. We're going to look on Jesus Christ face to face, and we're going to be changed, and he's going to change everything. He will change our bodies. He will change creation. He'll bring everything under his power and control. Think about it. Jesus will reverse the curse that began in Eden. And he'll make everything beautiful and right again within all of creation. This is the hope of every follower of Jesus. That we'll see him, we'll be changed to be like him, and we'll live with him in a renewed creation. Now that's, that's a lot to hope for. And you can see as Paul is writing here where he starts and where he finishes. He's saying, look, you keep pressing on. Look, don't you give up. Look, forget the past and the things back there that that hold you down and and trip you up. Look forward to what lies ahead. I'm not done with you. Keep pressing on. Run after that thing to obtain it because there's a prize coming. You'll get to know him and you'll become like him. Follow the examples of those that are doing that right in front of your eyes. And don't follow those that are enemies of the cross who just indulge their flesh and call it grace. And listen, be heavenly citizens. Realize that you are ultimately the citizen of another kingdom which is eternal. And even the death of your body can't change that. You will be present with the Lord because he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to change everything. He's going to change your body. He's going to change this planet. He's going to fix what's broken. He's going to take what's twisted and make it straight. He's going to take every part of creation that is cursed and filled with thorns and weeds. And he's going to make it beautiful again. He's going to do it. You can count on him. That's what he's saying. And with that said, I want to pray for you. So why don't you stand to your feet with me?